But I thought in that Vancouver series, they were the President's Trophy winner that year. So they were number one in the entire league. And when we beat them, I thought this gave the players the confidence that, hey, we can beat anybody. Let's just keep playing the way we're playing. And that just rolled on from there. And in every series, they, they had that three nothing lead. So I thought, in my opinion, the win over Vancouver in the first round was so significant to move them on to, to have those leads in rounds two, three, and, uh, and four. Welcome back, Kings fans. I'm Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. In August of 2022, the LA Kings team from 2012 gathered to celebrate the 10th anniversary of their Stanley Cup victory. I was fortunate enough to be part of a small group of people allowed to spend two days surrounded by the players, the coaches, and the executives responsible for that incredible moment in Kings history. This is part three of our series bringing you the memories and stories from that celebration. Part one focused on the 2011-2012 regular season. In part two, we look back at the first round upset of the Vancouver Canucks, and here in part three, we're going to remember the sweep of the Blues, the conference finals against Phoenix, and of course, the Stanley Cup final against the New Jersey Devils. LA Kings captain, Ajay Kopitar. You know, winning the first series 4-1 gave us a few extra days just to kind of decompress, but then we had a couple of days to prepare too, to kind of ramp up the intensity again. So we were ready for game one uh, of the next series. And then, you know, starting on the road, we knew if we go in the, the other team's building and win one, we'd be, uh, you know, it's like Quickie said, we were a confident bunch. And if, if you go on the road and win one, you, you steal one. And we just kept rolling from there. Former LA Kings captain Dustin Brown recalled the start of the second round matchup against the St. Louis Blues. But I remember the first 10 minutes of that series, game one, we had, we, it was like playing, we were playing, a, they were playing a different game than us. They were all over us. And I just remember vividly Quickie making two or three humongous saves. And then we came down and scored like a dinky little goal, like a, a crappy goal. Jonathan Quick was the star of the first period. There's no doubt about that. Because St. Louis came out firing. He made some fantastic saves. His ability to move side to side is the thing that people talk about most. Look at those legs. He reads plays so well. Big reason why he's up for the Vezina Trophy yeah, as the top goaltender in the National Hockey League. Ten shutouts on the season. Jonathan Quick, spectacular year and spectacular in the playoffs so far, too. And from that moment on, it just, again, we just carved him up. Here is Brown with speed. He had a couple of big short-handed goals in the last round, and he sets one up here. As Mac Green followed up and hammered it home, a short-handed goal. Short-handed goals, power play goals, four and four. Like, we just, every, we beat him on every pass of the game. Keep it coming. Here's a chance for Kopitar to the front. He scores! Oh, what a move by Kopitar! And it, after that first 10 minutes, that series did not feel close. It might have been close. I don't remember the scores, but it didn't feel close. It felt like we had hold of that. After the first 10 minutes of the game one, we had a hold of that series the whole time. And anything they did, we had an answer for. They're a great team, but we were a better team. And there's nothing worse as a competitor, just knowing no matter what you do, you're, you're probably going to get your ass kicked. As it turns out, it didn't matter what the Blues did. 
as the Kings took games one, two, and three, just as they had against the Vancouver Canucks in round one. With a 2-1 lead late in the third period of game four in LA, Dustin Brown made sure the Kings would take game four as well. I remember that game very vividly because I had a goal in the first, Noli scored early in the game. We, were up, we, we kind of controlled the game. It wasn't like a tight game. I remember I coming down the same side, I came to coming down the bench side, put it in that circle to the boards, and I remember coming in and it, it was loud. I still to this day think that the building was the loudest after the empty net goal. I was, I was on the ice and I got a, maybe a little bit too excited to where I like bear hugged him and jumped on him. So we both went down. Good thing nothing happened to, to both of us, but I was, I was excited and it was loud. And then Kobe jumped on me and it was like pile up and it was like, it was one of the, I think one of the unique and really cool moments for, for our group. LA Kings broadcaster, Jim Fox. I didn't see it because in game four of the sweep against St. Louis, Bob Miller and I went outside to get ready for the post-game show. And the one thing I remember, I think we're up by one goal, and I could hear the building go crazy. And I knew we scored in the empty net. I knew, I just, I, I was outside, but I could hear the building just shake. And to me, game series over. Ajay Kopitar, and Jonathan Quick. We knew that if we could somehow sweep that series that, you know, we can we can get, like I said before, like a few days off and not have to go back to San Louis and everybody's happy. And uh, that was uh, one of, obviously one of the biggest goals in in that run, too. That was, uh, was, that, that was an afternoon game, right? That was a Sunday was afternoon game? And we're supposed to fly after the game. Had we lost, because we didn't have to go out to game okay. five, and nobody packed a bag. Everyone was like, good thing we won. That's what it was, yeah. Because <laughs> we're supposed to go straight to the airport if we lost. The Kings completed their sweep of the St. Louis Blues on May 6th, while their opponents in the Western Conference Finals, the Phoenix Coyotes, wrapped up their second round win over the Nashville Predators on May 7th. The two Pacific Division rivals opened the Western Conference Finals on May 13th. The eighth-seeded Kings had defeated the first-seeded Canucks in the first round, the second-seed St. Louis Blues in the second round, and were facing the third-seed, the Phoenix Coyotes, in the third round. As the team's confidence grew, so did fan support on the road. And I always just remember that series because it was fun because we had a lot of fans, even when we went there. They had the whiteout and all that. It was a pretty cool environment to play there, but uh, going into an opposing a lot different like when you're going into Vancouver there's not one <laughs> it's all Vancouver fans but we had a pretty unique situation where we had a pretty good contingent of fans there so it was pretty fun to play in that type of atmosphere that late in postseason and have fans on the road like that just as they had in the first round and the second round the Kings won the first three games of the Western Conference Finals this time on the strength of five goals from Dwight King and a game two hat trick from Jeff Carter Mike Richards Jeff Carter and Pens, they scored the winning goal, but I think they dominated that series a lot. I think they were our best line. If I recall, they had a lot of big moments in that series. So it was like that was the the confidence was the fact that the guy we knew it wasn't gonna be me and Kopi every night, or it was gonna be 
our whole group together. We'll find a way. Could have a two-on-one here. Richards and King. Richards, wait, he shoots, save, rebound, score! Dwight King on the rebound has given Los Angeles a two-to-one lead. Now Richards. Hands it off for Penner. Thompson, for Carter scores! The Kings gave themselves an opportunity to sweep their second series in a row. But Mike Smith made 36 saves on 36 shots in Game 4 to push the series to a fifth game. After the loss, head coach Daryl Sutter portrayed the calm, sarcastic confidence that Kings fans had come to expect. It's the first time they took the will out of your guys tonight. Do you agree with any of that at all? And how does that carry over into the next game as far as your will, do you think? They're talking about, was that a nickname? No, not a nickname. Maybe the compete level. I'm not too worried about our compete level. With the score tied 3-3 in Game 5, and with 2 minutes and 30 seconds left in overtime, Dustin Brown hit Michael Roosevelt as play was whistled dead for an offside call. 11 seconds after the subsequent faceoff... Here comes Carter, closing in, save, rebound, out in front of Tampa I think my favorite thing about that is, uh, you know, heat of the moment, a lot of things are said, a lot of things are done. I remember there was something that uh, Mike Smith had said one time right after the game, and I understand the emotions are pretty high, but he said I should be suspended for life. And I, now looking back, I'm like, all right, so let's say like 10 years, that's like an 800-game suspension. It was a big moment for, probably a bigger moment for them than it was for us because it was an offside call. I hit them. They're mad. We line up for faceoff and go score, and now they're really mad. So I can understand some of their emotions, but hey, I don't regret it. <laughs> 2012 Con Smythe winner, Jonathan Quick. It was clean. Like, uh, obviously, they weren't too happy about it. I mean, you watch the replay. Like, he doesn't stick his leg out or anything, and the point of contact is his shoulder. So Brownie did have a knack of kind of towing that line without really going over the line. But, I, you know, obviously with the, the importance of the game and them not going on the power play and then us scoring, you can understand their frustration on it. Um, but, you know, like from the replays I've seen and from my view in the moment, it like he, he, he just kind of towed that line. He didn't cross it, though. The LA Kings were in the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1993. Former Kings assistant general manager, Mike Fuda. The morning of game six for breakfast, I had bacon and eggs, too over easy, and I can tell you this because I got I get so superstitious. Like, and for a person of management, it's unreal. But I would literally run six. If it was game six, I'd run six miles. It was going. So I had this little shut down and eat the same thing all the time. I would even, as you talk about habits, you got into after every series. I would fly back to Toronto, go to the same bar, have a beer, and then fly back to Los Angeles. So. You, nobody, as a guy in management, I, I clearly wasn't going to have an outcome of the ice, but mentally I was like, if I don't get back and have this beer, <laughs> we could be in trouble. But I became lifetime friends with the bartender. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so it worked out. After two overtime wins in New Jersey and a dominant 3 nothing win at home in L.A., the Kings once again found themselves up 3 to nothing in a playoff series. It was the first time in NHL history that a team had captured a 3-0 lead in each of the four rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, when I went down before game four, we had the 3-0 lead. 
did a radio show early. So I was down there about two in the afternoon. And so many fans were there that early. And they were all saying, Bob, tonight's the night, tonight's the night. And I said, well, I hope so. And that wasn't the night. And then back to New Jersey, and we got beat there. So now we've lost twice. We're going back home. And if they tie it, we're going back to New Jersey. And as we come, came out of that game in New Jersey, game five that we lost, the fans are going, ah, you're choking, you're choking now. We've got you now. And I thought, just win this game because you don't want to take your chance on game seven. Played a really good game in game four, and then you go back on the road. I don't even remember game five, to be honest with you. I don't even remember the score. I don't remember anything about game five. I remember game four because it was chance to win it. Good close game. They found, I think they scored two in the third to beat us. I remember the flight back from New Jersey after game five, and a lot of nervous people. I was on the floater plane with the staff and the wives, and you know, a lot of people were getting nervous. Game six was the same type of thing. We had a chance to close it out in game four, and all the fans were like, and then game six comes around, and all of a sudden there's a little bit more tension before the game, fans milling around, all those types of things. But uh, watching or working as opposed to playing is a lot more stressful. The pressure comes when you either win or go home. That's when the pressure comes. We didn't have that. Game six was the closest that we probably had to um, to really feeling it um, because we were able to just kind of just keep pushing people, pushing people, pushing people and getting a lot of wins and getting up early. Uh, that was kind of the first time where it's like, hey, it's, it's we really got to tighten this up here. We got to right this ship and make sure that uh, we take care of business tonight because nobody wants to go back for a game seven, especially after being up three nothing. Uh, I actually told some of the players this last night, I never go and watch warm ups ever, you know, because I can watch on screen in the locker room. But I went out and watched that because I knew New Jersey was starting to break down. And then I remember walked in after the, tell the told the coaches, the assistant coaches who had been out watching warm ups, I walked back and I said, We're going to be winning five nothing after the first period. Throughout my career, I've been able to play with a lot of great leaders, um, a lot of them. And you take little bits and pieces of every single leader that you play with that you like. And there comes certain times where you don't want to hear from the coach. You want to hear from the player. And we had just gone up 3 nothing on Jersey. They had came back and won two straight games on us. It was coming to game six, and I just felt it was something that needed to be said by one of us on the team um, just to kind of calm the juices and, and get everybody um, get everybody back to where we needed to be because you know we were slowly letting them come back up to even terms and um, fortunately for us we were able to shut it down right away. We're a good team we're, we deserve to be here type thing someone who had been there I'd want it uh, it was a probably the right message at the right time because we had kind of that year we had kind of just Went through everybody pretty easily. Lost two games in a row, which I think was the first time we had done that in, in the playoffs. So it was perfect timing. So the 3 nothing lead was key. And then 4 nothing when Carter scored in the early in the second period. So now you've got a 4 nothing lead against Martin Brodeur in goal. And you're feeling pretty good about that. But then New Jersey scored. And 
you think if they get the next one, we, we've seen that happen so often that here they come again now and let's not blow this. So very important then to make it 5-1 and 15 seconds later, Matt Green scores 6-1. And at that point, the whole crowd is just going crazy, chanting, we've got the cup, we've got the cup. And my partner, Jim Fox, is going, no, he's so superstitious. Don't say that, don't say that. And I'm thinking, if we can't hold a 6-1 lead, and we scored six goals against Martin Brodeur, and they're gonna have to score seven against Jonathan Quick to win this, I think we're in pretty good shape. But uh, Jimmy didn't want the crowd hollering, we've got the cup, we've got the cup. But I thought it was so significant that the players on the bench as time was ticking down and the whole crowd knew this game is over. It's not over on the, on the ice, but it's over on the scoreboard. 6-1 lead and they could just celebrate and, and just have a great time. I thought that was significant for the crowd because of all those years they had waited to see if it would ever happen. And they just had time to enjoy that kind of a lead and knowing this is going to win the cup and we're going to see it presented at center ice. So uh, that was that was a thrill for me to see the crowd react that way. You know, I'd been to two Stanley Cup finals as a coach. Uh, the first time we got beat four straight, so it's like you're young and you're, you know, it's just four and done, right? But I'd lost in game seven, two, one to Tampa Bay in uh, 04. And in the back of your mind, that that game seven loss was probably the one thing that I wanted to go to game seven again. I wanted to win it. And it was always the always the driving, if it was the right situation or the right people or the right opportunity, you know, I, I wanted that. And I was fortunate to be able to do that. You know, the memories are mostly on the ice, um, but just the focus and the resolve that that was going to be the day, I think, was um, probably one thing that I'll really remember. It's just kind of an aura that surrounded us that today was going to be the day. As soon as they presented the cup at center ice to Dustin, Jim Fox and I headed out to the terrace and out on the balcony to do be ready to go live on TV with a postgame show. And uh, so while we were out there and the fans were down below all chanting, uh, Patrick O'Neill came up and said, Bob, they're, they're, they want you on the ice. And I said, well, we're, we're doing a TV show. He said, I'll sub for you, you go down to the ice. So I ran down there as fast as I could and ran into my wife and she said, Dustin Brown has been looking all over for you. He said, where's Bob, where's Bob? And she said, he's doing a live TV show. I said, well, I wanna hand him the cup. And by that time I got down there, most of the players were gone and into the locker room. So I didn't see him on the ice. I got into the locker room, luckily, and uh, got a taste of the champagne and out of the cup. And it ran down the front of my shirt and tie and everything. I still have that tie. <laughs> and, and it was a thrill for me to be in there at that time. And then at a party in the restaurant later, Dustin came up with the cup and said, here, here's the cup. And I put it over my head and I've still got that picture in my office. And uh, it's, uh, it's a thrill for me to look at that 
each day. Like most people, I have a picture after the game. And Dustin Ralph handed me the Stanley Cup. And I had a chance to raise it. As an ex-player, I think that, I don't think people, you know, you just don't do that. And I wouldn't have if he didn't give it to me. And he gave it to me. You know, I've had people that don't live in Los Angeles anymore, and I'm around somewhere else on the East Coast, and they say, yeah, I remember you and Ally, thank you for the cup. That was one of the greatest days of my life. Or um, thanks for those cups back in, you know, <laughs> back in 2012 and 14. But, but it happens more than you think that people do that. And I obviously say, you're welcome, but you know, clearly I didn't do it for them. I did it for everybody else, um, for myself. But uh, I'm really, really proud of the fact that we're able to make a lot of people happy. As a player, you're just focusing on what you got to do to be a better player. Every single day is just about getting better the next day or helping, like getting the team better. You're focused on a very specific thing, and that's just playing hockey. You don't notice all the, I mean, you, you feel the fans. I mean, I got the experience a year without fans, and you definitely, it's all part of it, but you don't think about it. And then as I retired, there's a lot of these stories come out and then you start to realize like, I had a big moment for me with the Sedin scoring the goal, a lot of iconic moments throughout these runs for a lot of different people. But then you start to realize like that moment was, in my head, it was my moment, but for a lot of people, that's their moment, whether it's, with their father who's passed on or their grandchildren. There's all these stories that I'm, and you start to realize the impact sports can have on a community. And it's probably been one of the more rewarding things since I retired is hearing these stories. Cause like I said, you don't have time to think about it when you're playing. But we had a special team there that I think the Kings have been just pining for a championship team. Like that's the feeling I've gotten from these stories is you have some people that have been waiting 45 years and then there's some people like, I'm 10, but my dad and me have been Kings fans my whole life. So it's like a really interesting dynamic and then you start to see the generational grandfathers, sons, sons. And um, yeah, I just never realized the impact that you have on so many people. No, it's been it's been rewarding to hear these because it's just like I said, you really don't hear, don't really think about it. You don't have time to think about it. It's also just it's a little weird to think about, like because when I think about that run, I just think about those twenty guys, like what I share with them. But it's like there's it expands out in a million different directions, different branches, and you just don't really realize how much. Um, some of these moments meant to people you don't even know and will never know. So it's a pretty unique situation. We're doing the post game show and I'm bawling between, I'm just crying uncontrollably between when we're on, I'm good. I'm doing the old oh, TV thing. Boom, look at my, my phone, text from ex-Kings. Everyone just texting me, friends texting me. I don't know how I kept it together, but when the camera came on, I kind of kept it together. As soon as that we threw the commercial, I was just a wreck. And just getting those texts, repeated texts. And then the other thing I remember was the parade. When I could see 
grandfather, son, grandson, grandmother, mom, granddaughter in the crowd. The generations of Kings fans that waited so long for that cup. And they were, they were, we're just going on that big bus and they're right there lined up. And that's, that, you know, that brought a lot of things to me of, you know, people waited a long time for that. But the generations were there and they were celebrating. I was just so happy that they got to experience that because 45 years, you know, as I said, the 45 year drought is over. All the disappointment of the past is gone. And, uh, and that's the way it felt for everybody uh, that they got a chance to see that. Uh, and there was, what was it, one sign my dad has waited 45 years for this. And, and this is my son's first game or something like that. Um, so there were signs and people crying and hugging each other. And we got a chance to see that in person. And, uh, and that meant a lot to me. And um, you know, the fans would be, we were not in our regular TV booth, uh, so we were in a different location. But they were right down below us, standing up and turning around and high-fiving me and, and everything. And uh, so it was, uh, uh, it was really, it was exciting for everybody. And it, it was exciting for me too, because I really thought I may never see this. And my fear was, as I said many times, I'll retire and they'll win it the next season. So I was relieved that I hung on long enough to see not one, but two Stanley Cups. It's so incredible when you talk about the stories of the people that went to so many games and had lived through so much and never ever thought they'd see a chance for the Kings to hoist a trophy in it. When I when I kind of got promoted, I mean, I was kind of one of those same thing. I lived in Toronto, I was down back, so I hadn't really had that connection with the fans. And when I moved to Los Angeles, um, whatever, it was just surely uh, in 2012, you got to get that connection with the fans. And then, you know, when you start to speak to um, the fan clubs, and then, I mean, there's a gentleman named George, I think it's, I don't want to bugger up his last name, but I still remember speaking to the fan club for the first time, and then you start to, have people more come up, because I'm not somebody, I'm not a recognizable face on the team or anything like that. And and they know who you are and they start to thank you for the players you've drafted and being part of things. And that makes you feel even more special, but the stories that go about the jerseys and the cups and the euphoria that went around with it, like the fans. And it was because the last game too, because we were up so early, the, like it was like 5-1, I think after the first period was, it was you knew we were gonna win. And the fans just didn't stop screaming it didn't end like i was like so when the buzzer goes what's going to happen how are they get around they haven't stopped screaming for the first 40 minutes somebody's going to get tired they're going to run out of beer or something like that but it was same they took it to another level and i still uh between our building our building in that run the fans were just beyond incredible and then i because i always like when chicago i was always thought wow this is as loud as it gets and stuff like that and, and i just felt that the fans took it to another level and they just had a genuine connection with the passion for the Kings and the players. And it was just so special to be a part of it and reward them and see them cry, like people crying. Like we were, ne we thought we'd never see this. Like, I mean, you're supposed to see the Lakers and the Dodgers win. This was something we never expected. And it was, it made it that much more special. And it being my first, and then, I mean, to do it again two years later, I guess, uh, who, who knows, tape running, we can come back in a couple years and keep going. But it's, you just never, until it's there, and then once you get it, 
you just want to keep feeding it. You don't want it to ever end. And uh, I think that when you start to think about it and you start to get a little, whatever, start to feel down about things, you feel how fortunate and how special it really was to have done it twice, but even to do it for the first time in the history of a franchise, it's really special. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, you don't forget it. And it's amazing uh, the impact that that's had with, uh, with us. And there's a lot of that stuff where, you know, it's whether, you know, you're on the street or you're with your kids or, you know, you're back before where I remember being in the gym before and people coming up to you and uh, stopping you and making sure, you know, they get your attention and they tell you that story and they, they bring it up where they say, yeah, you know, me and my dad watched every game. We're in tears at the end of it. And you have no idea how much this means to me, to my family. And it's a, uh, it's something that it hits it hits really hard because that same moment uh, means the world to me and, uh, and to my friends. To be able to share that is uh, special. The bond from winning championships is there forever. It's something we talked about after that when we won it in 12 about you know, making sure we were always there for each other forever. And if you look at last night, that's that's the cool thing to see and, and how how happy they are to be around each other and with each other. It's, it's a unique situation for sure.